still morning. I was checking. <laughs> hello, hello. I'm Savannah. I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Shibuya. Shibuya. We're here. Shibusiness. Shibusiness. That's going to forever be a thing, isn't it? I think so. In my mind, it is. I think so, too. It's what, What's crazy is it's a, a thing within my, my parents' house, because my <laughs> parents are our number one fans, and... I swear, all the time, my dad will just call me and he'll go, "Shit business. <laughs> Love you, dad. You're the bestest. That's great. He is the best. He called me the other day. I was at the hair salon and I had him on speaker because my head was in a bowl. And he's just like, <laughs> hello, Goffnard. <Gough not." laughs> he starts talking really loud in a really bad British accent. And it was really funny. <laughs> Dads, am I right? Dads. Yeah. I don't have a lot. I have to base it on my husband. <laughs> Yeah, he's a very dad dad, your husband. My dad was not a very dad dad. My husband is, and he's gotten better. Uh And I hope he doesn't get upset with me for sharing. I don't think he is because he does not embarrass easily at all. No, not at all. We have stories. (laughs) But I have to say this wonderful thing. So as we've talked about on the podcast, you have OCD. I do. And now my husband has been diagnosed with a form of OCD. We're twinsies. <laughs> and he's now being medicated. And so he goes around making comparisons to how he was before and after. But he calls it, now that I'm on the pill. <laughs> <laughs> he's so funny. He just, it, it, everything that comes out of his mouth is gold. So that's our favorite new thing. And he's also being... A real dad's dad. He since, has been. Since he's been on the pill. He has he's, been. He's saying all the dad things, doing all the dad things. He's been but, like ultra protective isn't the right word, but like just proud. He's a very proud father recently. I love it. Yes. I mean, he's not. He's always been a proud dad, but you know yeah. what I'm saying. But now that he's on the pill, <laughs> he, he can show his emotions in a proper manner. Exactly. Instead of being riddled with anxiety from having OCD. Exactly. Fantastic. So that's your mental he has health awareness. Another, <laughs> Check for the another day. thing that he does is he has a shirt um with your dog's face all over yeah, it. Yeah. I got that for him for Father's Day. It's a Phoebe shirt and it's the best. Yes. We need to get him one with Betty because it's just he's just I got do, the schnauzer. Betty is truly his dog. He is truly the dad, you know. Dad didn't dad, want a dog. Dad, dad didn't a dog. want a dog. Got the dog, and now dad is best friends with the dog. Yep. I love it. All right. That's enough about our lives. Yeah, you, I you guess. didn't come here for our lives. You came here yeah, for homicide. You came here for homicide. <laughs> All right. So we are, as you probably read in the title, doing The Man of Many Names. Do you know what that makes me think of? No. Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, I didn't watch that. I'm like the only person on earth that didn't watch Game of Thrones. I only watched it this year. You're not that late. Well, it's all good. The bad part was that my husband was watching it and he asked me to watch it. And the one episode, it just happened to be very rapey. Oh. And I I was not yeah. a fan. It's, you know what? I will say that for a show like Game of Thrones, I really expected it to be more rapey. Because I feel like that's all I ever hear people talk about when they're talking about it. Yeah, I and can it, see that. it wasn't as rapey as I thought it was going to be. It's yeah. still a little rapey. But that was like the very first, like he was in the middle of an episode and that was like the very first thing that I oh, saw. Yeah. And well, that's uncomfortable. So it just- that's how I felt about my mom was watching The Last Kingdom. Yeah, and I've watched I w- The Last I watched, Kingdom. I walked in and she's I've- watching one episode and I was like, I can never watch the show. Even though everybody says I'd like it. It was like the one scene. I was like, Ugh. Yeah. No, I get that because I did watch The Last Kingdom yeah. and I love it. Mm-hmm. But, well, I was also in a different place in my life when he was watching Game of Thrones versus when I watched The Last Kingdom. I anyway, didn't need to get us on this tangent. I'm sorry. That's okay. I had to get my iPad up and running again. So, Well, while we're on the topic thank of, you for of the Game delay. of Thrones, um, if anybody is curious, I know everybody who is you know aware that I'm the Gen, the Gen Zer, you must be curious. I am Team Queen of the North. In the Joe Jonas Sophie Turner divorce, oh, so Sansa Stark, I bent the knee. <laughs> anyway, continue. I don't have a preference. Yeah, you do. You do. This is a Sansa household. Okay, I'll go with that. Joe Jonas um, is short, so 
That's not a reason. They're getting divorced because she was holding the div- the remote too high up his head. He couldn't reach it. No, they're not. Yeah, she kept buying chairs that were too tall. His little feet couldn't touch the ground. <laughs> TMZ said so. No, they didn't. That's a tweet. I'm joking. <laughs> That's terrible. All right. All right. To business. Show business. Show business. The man of many names. You may know him as Clark Rockefeller, but his true name. I didn't know there was a Clark Rockefeller. Well, there's not. Oh, that's the point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but his true name is Christian Carl Gerhardt's writer. He is wow. very German. Okay. Okay. So hold on to your butt because this is not your typical true crime business. I this love is, it. This is a whole, the whole thing. I did my best to write it in a way that everybody can, you know, keep tabs on. All right. Everything. Let's do it. So if you have questions, let me know. Yes. As always, if you ever have questions, we answer questions all the time. Just let us know. Yes. So growing up in a small German town, Christian Carl Gerhardt's writer. Oh, by the way, side note. I'm going to say Christian because I have an American accent. He pronounces it like Chris John. Chris John. Chris Don. So just know, I know that I'm not pronouncing it the way that he technically should pronounce it, but that's because I will stumble over it at each and every time. Anyhow, he dreamed of one day moving on to bigger and better things than his small little town in Germany. He was convinced this would really only happen in America and continuously worked on speaking an American accent. After meeting an American tourist on a train who casually invited him to stay with him, should he ever find himself in Connecticut, Christian convinced his parents to send him there or here (laughs) as a foreign exchange student. He found the friend he'd met on the train and stayed with their family for months before they asked him to leave. During his time there, the family would notice he obsessively watched TV and they realized it was because he was trying to perfect an American accent. The only thing was, this is the 1970s. So one of his favorite shows... I think I know what you're going to say. ...was Gilligan's Island. Oh, no, I didn't. (laughs) No, I didn't. Hold on. I thought you were going to say like... Sesame Street, which is a great way to learn how to speak. Yes, but he loved Gilligan's Island. He especially loved the millionaire from Gilligan's Island, Thurston Howell III. Thurston Howell III. I never watched Gilligan's Island. And for those of you that are in the Gen X, (laughs) I'm sure the Gen Zers are like, I've heard of Gilligan's Island. I don't want to sound like a complete heathen. Thurston Howell III on Gilligan's Island was very eccentric. It was basically you take every stereotype that anybody could possibly have about a wealthy millionaire, and that's what this dude was. He was very eccentric. His pronunciation of things was over, overzealous. overdone, yeah. overzealous. So that's how Christian started speaking in an oh. American accent. It wasn't okay. just an American accent. It was specifically like this rich, posh kind of speak. So as he moved on from that family, he found multiple different people to take him in here and there until he would always overstay his welcome. Yeah, I feel like everybody knows somebody like that. Yeah, he he basically, from what I gathered, he was rather insulting to people because oh. he was looking to be a millionaire. He was looking to be posh and wealthy. He's got to get on his grind. And so he would say insulting things about the way they lived because these were just normal, average American people. Yeah, the working class. If this man was around today, he would be on Instagram, like, just, I know exactly Insulting the world. Is. Yes, because there's a whole genre of people on Instagram who are just like motivational people. And they're like, if you want your first meal by 20, you got to get on your grind. (laughs) And they like think that they're better than you because they like. Because they grind. They grind. They run a false business. (laughs) It's just like fake. Anyway. Yeah. I've seen them. Yeah. I know exactly. I don't. Yeah. Moving on. 
<laughs> We're in rare form today. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Yes, we are. So he manages to muddle his way through. He graduates high school. Okay, because he was a foreign exchange student in high school at the time. He was 17. Oh, okay. Okay. He makes it into college. So he goes from Connecticut to Wisconsin. He attends the University of Wisconsin, where he shortened his name to Christian Gerhardt because he felt that that mm-hmm. sounded more American. It does. While in Wisconsin, a mutual friend introduced him to a young woman that, for whatever reason, she agreed to marry him so he could stay in America. They were not dating. They didn't okay. even really know each other well before this. She actually had a boyfriend. But somehow this mutual friend of theirs introduced them and then convinced they convinced her to marry him so he could stay. She would later testify that she only saw him one time after their marriage was official. And that was so that he wrote down his name and tutored her on the pronunciation so she could do the paperwork (laughs) necessary. And apparently immigration never like question them or which is so said, weird because if you've seen the proposal like they turn it into a thing yeah well this again this was in the like 70s oh, okay. uh late 70s early very early 80s and he's german he's not a brown-skinned man <laughs> i was gonna say he's a he's a white <laughs> he's a white immigrant <laughs> so i don't know how much they cared <laughs> oh my gosh I hate, I hate s- the United States. Why are we I so ha- mean? I hate <laughs> I hate to say that, but we all no, know that's true. No, but we true. all know it's true. So, ugh, makes me sick. It was 12 years before she would file for divorce, which she was granted because she had no idea where he was. He was nowhere to be yeah, found. Yeah, that seems like an easy divorce to be like, "Hey judge, I haven't seen this man in years. I can't even say his name, right? I don't know where he is. So he was nowhere to be found, so he couldn't contest it. So she was granted the divorce. But turned out he couldn't be found because shortly after getting married and assured his citizenship, he moved to California and began going by yet another name. So when he gets to California... He began attending the University of Southern California as Christopher Mountbatten Chichester. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Did you say cheese jester? Chichester. Cheese jester is way funnier. Cheese jester. <laughs> no, cheese. Che- I'm thinking chester. cheese jester like a cheese clown. <laughs> I mean, Wisconsin, cheese clown. Well, that's not where he got it from. I know, I know, but, but can you just imagine good. with one of those big cheese wedge hats? <laughs> He's like, hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> I am a con man. Well, that kind of goes okay. along with what he does <laughs> okay. with this name. He started mingling with the wealthy through churches, city hall meetings. He's doing the thing that girls do when they want to marry rich. They, like, go to the rich bars. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He he started going to, like, the social clubs and everything. And he started handing out cards that had a coat of arms, like a business card, except that it had no business on it because he was just going to school and he was essentially broke. Yeah. Um, But it had a coat of arms on it and it had him named as Christopher Chichester the Roman numeral 13, B-T, which stood for the 13th baronet. <laughs> Isn't, like, baronet the female version no. of a baron? Apparently not, because there was a baronet. Okay. A named, an official named baronet okay. that was still alive at the time. But they only, there's only one baronet at a time. Yeah. And so apparently none of these people looked into this. Or well, because they didn't about care. It. Like, yeah, I mean, let's face it. Americans like, don't pay, don't yeah. follow, you know, all the all the titles and the stuff. But still, they never checked into it because if they had, they would have found that Sir John Edward Chichester the, was the eleventh baronet, and he was still alive, which meant 
There was no 12th baronet, let alone a 13th 13th. baronet. Yeah. But I love that he's just handing out like a business card being like, yeah, I'm royal because I say so. And that's my job. (laughs) Like, yeah. At some point soon after, Christian moved into the guest house of a Ms. Ruth Dede Sohus in the wealthy neighborhood of San Marino under the premise that he would pay some rent, but also assist her with taking care of the property. All right. All while wearing his cheese wedge hat that I've decided he wears forever. <laughs> That's going to be even funnier coming up. <laughs> I know. I, I had a feeling, so. Yes. To give you a picture, the neighborhoods in San Marino, I looked it up now. Like, these houses now would be worth, like, two, three million dollars. Beautiful neighborhood. I actually want this house. I looked up the specific house. It's beautiful. It's a Tudor style. Oh, I love a Tudor style. All the houses in that neighborhood are almost like miniature mansions. Oh, I love a little McMansion moment. Gorgeous. Well, he lived in the guest house out back. Yeah. Around the same time or shortly after Christopher moved in, Dee Dee also invited her adopted son, John, and his new wife, Linda, to move in with her until they could get on their feet. Okay. So now we're going to jump into a little bit about John and Linda. They had met in 1982 and bonded over similar interests. You're going to love this. John introduced Linda to Dungeons and Dragons. Heck yeah, boy. Let's get out the D20s. And she said, sign me up. You're my man. Absolutely. Listen, nerds make the best husbands or partners, however you want to swing that. Just saying, get a nerd. They're not cheating on you. They're buying minifigs. (laughs) They're at the comic book store down the street, okay? John and Linda got engaged rather quickly, married not long after on Halloween of 1983. Baddies. They did move in with Dee Dee. And though the house was big enough, like I said, it was a mini mansion of sorts, Mm -hmm. it's believed that John and Linda may have been wanting Christian to move out so that they could take the guest house. Okay. For some more privacy. They're newlyweds after all. Before they have a chance to see Christian out of the guest house, though, John is suddenly offered a dream job. That's suspicious. Mm-hmm. All that Linda's friends and family knew was that suddenly they showed up driving a brand new white Nissan truck and said that they have to go to New York. Okay. Linda told her friend Sue that John had a job interview with a high-level highly confidential government job, and she was going with him on the trip. Oh, yeah, fair enough. So, as far as everybody knew, they should be back in about a week or so. Her friend Sue thought it was a little odd, given, apparently, their previous experience in life. Like, why would you suddenly have (laughs) a job interview? Yeah, like, where did this come from? Yeah. But she also acknowledged that their lives and relationship had always been a little bit odd. So at the same time, it seemed fitting that they would just take up and like do something totally different. As far as anyone knew, John and Linda left for that trip in February of 1985. And when her friends and family still hadn't heard from her by the following month, her friend Sue called their home and spoke with Dee Dee. John's adopted mom. Mm-hmm. Dee Dee told her that they've gone away and she doesn't know if they'll ever come back. So, okay. Sue, obviously thinking, well, that's weird, contacts Linda's sister, Kathy, and they began working together to try and find the couple. And they also reported them missing. All right. Dee Dee tells the officers working on the missing persons case that John and Linda went on a secret mission. They went on a side quest? Maybe. So Linda's sister Kathy spoke with Dee Dee several times more, trying to get more answers, but says in an interview, quote, the conversations were unreasonable because Dee Dee was a heavy drinker. Oh, okay. So 
the whole secret mission thing at first, they're kind of chalking up to like Dee Dee being She's just drunk. off the rocker. However, Dee Dee did tell her that she cannot contact them, but there's a third party who can. And he is the one who's been giving her updates on them. Oh my gosh. I think I know who it is. It's the Baronet. That third party was the Cheesehead. Christian, otherwise known as Christopher Chichester. I'm dead. Of course he is. Of course he's the third party. <laughs> so the officer investigating decided to follow up on this lead, and he arrived at the guest house where Christian answered the door naked with his cheese head. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's and no cheese head. There is a cheese head. Don't listen to her. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, so wait, hold on. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think I'm ready. I had it in my head and I gotta get it out. It's gross. Christopher lets the officer in. Swanging. But when the officer asked him to put on some clothes, he told him, no, I'm a nudist and prefer to stay nude. <laughs> ah! <laughs> First of all, the poor officer. Because he's just like, man, have y'all swang up. Come that thing <laughs> up. I don't want to see that. It's looking at me. <laughs> it was kind of funny because in the interview that the officer's talking about it, he says, the short little man answers the door. <laughs> <laughs> so Christian told the officer that the couple had gone to New York on a secret mission he believed involving satellites. He also went on to say that they left two months ago, because at this point, it's April. Okay. And that they were supposed to be back, but he doesn't know why they haven't come back. The officer asked him for an ID and noted that there were two names on the card, Christopher Chichester and Christopher Gerhardt's writer. <laughs> okay. Getting the impression that Christopher's story didn't make sense, the officer took note of the white Nissan truck sitting in the driveway as he left because he was thinking that that was Christopher's truck. Yeah. When he gets back to the station, he ran the license plate of the truck and then, of course, found out that it belonged to John and Linda Sohas. When he ran Christopher's driver's license number... It came back with no criminal activity yeah. or record. Shortly after the officer's interview with Christopher slash Christian, Linda's mother received a somewhat strange postcard from Paris. All right. That said, quote, oops, looks like we made a wrong turn. John and Linda. Wait, okay, but I'm stealing that from my next Instagram caption when I go traveling. That's so good. <laughs> The handwriting on it did look like Linda's, but her family didn't believe it was something she would write on her own. Like the phrasing, I mean, I just gave you a little snippet of what it said, but they say that the phrasing of what was said on it didn't sound like Linda. Uh, Linda would have always signed like love Linda or mm -hmm. something like that. And it was just John and Linda, nothing more. So. All right. Fair enough. Dee Dee Sohus finally filed her own missing persons report in July of 1985 when she realized Christopher Chichester had left and taken John's truck. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. If any of the people in my life said that they were going on a secret mission and they didn't come back, I love you so much. I'm filing a missing persons report. Yes. Because you have and lost you your rocker. If you are in the CIA... The missing person report will go nowhere. Yeah. They will be They're like. They're going to have to figure out a way to get me off the case. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm sorry, but none of y'all are athletic enough to go on a secret mission. <laughs> <laughs> you could not finagle some laser beams. <laughs> no. Laser beams. Yeah, I doubt John and Linda were either since they were. Linda was like described as being artsy and into science fiction. Yeah. And John, hey, I know some jacked nerds. And John, well, yeah, but this was the 1980s. People who were into D and D were true nerds. They were not like fair enough today's D and D people. Like, it's very different. I know one of my party members in my D and D group is a gym rat. Like, yeah, 
That wasn't the case in the yeah. 80s. My brother played D&D in the 80s. Fair enough. Fair enough. I've I've seen seen firsthand. <laughs> okay. So like I said, my statement still stands. Not fit enough to go on a Correct. secret mission. Yes. I was agreeing with that point. Absolutely. Well, the missing persons reports did go nowhere. Three years went by with no leads on John, Linda, Christopher, or the missing truck. And in February of 1988, Didi Sohas passed away with no answers. That's, that's horrible. Later that year, in November of 1988, they were faced with letting the case go cold. The detective decided to dig in one more time and found that the truck had been sold in Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay. He reached out to the police department there, and a detective followed up with the couple who had bought the truck. They told the detective they didn't know anyone with the names Chichester or Gerhardt's writer, and that they had gotten the truck from a hedge fund manager they met at church named Chris Crow. I mean, and they're going to know the other two last names because those are very particular. Mm-hmm. The d- detective found a P.O. box for Chris Crow in the town of Berlin, Connecticut, which he was then able to find a physical address back in Greenwich where Christopher was living in a garage apartment. Okay. So he goes to that address and he speaks with the landlord who gave him the name of Chris's employer and told him that, yeah, Chris did, in fact, show up here in a white Nissan truck initially. Yeah. So the detective realized "Mm, there's a good chance that this is the same guy because we saw on his driver's license he had two different names. He probably has just changed his name again. So he attempted to surprise Chris at the office but while waiting for him, the boss comes in and tells the detective, oh, Chris just called and he said he wasn't coming to work because his mom and dad have been kidnapped and he has to take a couple months off to go look for them in Pakistan. These stories just get more and more elaborate. Yes, they do. Which is dangerous when you're lying because then how do you keep up with it all? I don't know how this man, it, it gets worse. And maybe I missed something, <laughs> but what is he doing for money? That's just it. He moves in places. And then he's he always living can't. in like a guest house or something. Yeah. He's, he's he's not really. He's always putting off paying them. Yeah, but he's supposed to like eat. He's mingling with the wealthy. Oh. So he probably. He's just going to like hotel ballrooms yeah. where they're having bar mitzvahs and eating off the buffet table. <laughs> like Possibly. I don't know. Head. That's very I conspicuous. Think, I think that he did have some job like legitimate jobs and this hedge fund manager job was a legitimate job like he really did work there so he did make money but fair enough he just didn't make as much as he liked to make it look like he made the boss tells him uh he's not coming but he also tells the detective that because chris was registering as a broker for the u.s securities and exchange they had been required to take fingerprints, which they just did. They had not yet sent the card off. Oh, good. Convenient. Yes. The boss also gave the detective a couple of phone numbers of contacts whom Chris would stay with when he would go to New York City. Okay. So the detective calls the numbers, Mm -hmm. and at one of the numbers, a woman by the name of Mihoko Manabi answered. And said that she knew Chris, but he wasn't there, but she would relay a message to him when she heard from him. I mean, yeah, what what are you going to do? do? (laughs) Though they were quite certain that Christian, Christopher, and Chris were all the same person, detectives were forced to close the case as they didn't have any firm evidence and he disappeared yet again. They did, however, add his fingerprints to the national database. All right. Back in California, Linda's friends and family carried on thinking they would never get any answers. Until May of 1994. So nearly 10 years later. That's a, that's, 10 years from their disappearance. Yeah. Nine years from their disappearance. 
when the new owners of Dee Dee's house decided to put a pool in the backyard. <gasps> oh my gosh. I'm sure y'all can figure out what comes yes. next. <laughs> yes, they found human remains when they began digging. Investigators conducted a search of the entire property, but only found one set of remains and some blood evidence in the guest house. From nine years ago, they found blood evidence? Yes, because there wasn't any flooring. It was mm-hmm. concrete. So they actually... It like soaked in, I guess. It, I guess. But they used luminol and mm-hmm. stuff and were able to okay. so, find okay. a little bit of drops of blood. It wasn't much, but, but it, was, it was there. The skull of the remains was double wrapped in two plastic bags. The medical examiner confirmed there was evidence of blunt force trauma, but also suggested that there was some evidence of stabbing. Re, re, re. That's my scream noise, you know, from the stab. <laughs> I made the noise and made the motion, but they can't see the motion, so I have to explain it. Okay. <laughs> they presumed that the remains were John's, but could not confirm because they had no dental records or DNA to compare it to since he was adopted. They did track down who his biological mother was, but found that she had passed away. And there was no record of who his biological father was. So it'd be like that. It took a while, but later down the road, they ended up tracking down a half sibling of John's and was able to confirm that it was his remains through Mm -hmm. DNA of the half sibling. Yeah. Investigators at the time, though, when the remains are found, were now faced with tracking down Christian Gerhardt's writer once again. Because they're thinking little old alcoholic Dee Dee wasn't the one yeah, they doing this. Yeah, they didn't think she did it. Unfortunately, Christian had continued changing his name and the case went cold. That is... Until July of 2008. Okay. When a man named Clark Rockefeller made national news out of Boston for kidnapping his own daughter after an ugly divorce from his wife. Okay. Before his first supervised visit with his daughter, Ray, Clark offered his driver $2,500 for his help in ditching, quote, a clingy family friend who would be with them so they could get out of the city and go sailing. A.K.A. his child's mother. No. Oh, I'm sorry. You'll find out in one second. (laughs) As Clark, Ray, and the social worker... Oh, okay. ...approached the vehicle, Clark created a distraction and then blindsided the social worker, knocking him to the ground. He shoved his daughter into the back seat, hitting her head on the way in, and they sped away just as the social worker grabbed the door handle in an attempt to get in the car. Clark ordered his driver through the city until they reached a cab parked outside of a convenience store. He told the driver the plans had changed and that he was going to catch that cab to take Ray to the hospital to have her head checked. Okay. He told him, wait for us at the Whole Foods. So that's all the driver knows. Okay. Once in the cab, he directed that driver to the Boston Sailing Center. There, he and Ray got into a friend's vehicle. Clark had asked the friend to give them a ride to New York City, claiming that's where his boat was docked and he was going to be taking his daughter sailing around the world. In his boat. In his boat. Okay. And his little yacht or whatever. All right. They got stuck in traffic during the ride, and Clark asked to borrow the friend's phone. A little bit later, she picks her phone up and realized that he'd turned the phone off. Hmm. So she turned it back on, and she had multiple calls and messages. Clark very sternly told her to leave it. So she turned it back off. She's stuck in traffic in a car with this man. Yeah. And she had known him for some time, but... Doesn't make it any less scary. Yeah. 
Once they reached the city and made it just in front of Grand Central Station, Clark told her they would take a cab from there, and he jumped out, throwing an envelope of money on the seat as he went. As soon as she turned the phone back on, it was ringing. They're blowing it up. On the other end was another friend informing her that Clark Rockefeller was in the news accused of kidnapping his daughter and assaulting the social worker. So she's like, well, shit. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) They literally just got out of my car. What do I do? Well, she immediately called the police and told them. That's all you can do. Hey, they just got out and are headed into Grand Central Station. I mean, that's legitimately all you can do. Yes. Meanwhile, the social worker had called police in Boston and a private investigator that had been hired by Clark's ex-wife, Sandra Boss, had the misfortune of informing her that he failed at the task at hand and Clark had taken Ray. She knew he was going to try and kidnap Mm -hmm. her. Once with the authorities, Sandra told them that they never catch him because he's not who he says he is. And they're like, yeah, girl, we know. They didn't know. Oh, I'm sorry. Not these cops. Oh, they didn't there's know. too many cops. Just I know. The story <laughs> is crazy. Insane. So they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> He's not who he says he is. And she said, after 12 years of marriage, she finally questioned his identity. And during their divorce proceedings, she filed an affidavit officially calling him out on it. His response was an affidavit of his own which meant if he lied on it, he was under the penalty of perjury. Yeah, that's... And it said, Sandra L. Boss and I met on February 5th, 1993, and ever since then, she has known me by my one and only name, James Frederick Mills Clark Rockefeller. If I indeed had a different name, one would find it difficult to imagine that in nearly 15 years, Such a fact would not have come to light, particularly since Sandra throughout our life together met many persons who have known me by the same name for much longer than she has known me. (laughs) Slow blink. Okay. There's nothing you can say to that. Just He's just... Yes. Oh, my gosh. He has a knack for, like, denying things, but at the same time confessing them. Yeah. He's very good at that. That wasn't me. And if it was me. (laughs) When the police searched for Clark in their system, they came up with nothing. And Sandra was unable to help. She said he didn't have a driver's license, which is why the friend gave him the ride. Because the friend said, I knew he didn't have a driver's license. Uh, Sandra said she had never in 12 years of marriage seen a social security card. That belonged to him. So she had no idea what his social security number was. Was, yeah. Nor had they ever filed taxes for him. To her knowledge. Yep. To her knowledge, he had no credit cards or checking account. And since the divorce, she could only contact him at a number that actually belonged to a friend of his. You see, Sandra worked at an extremely successful business consulting firm, making a couple million dollars herself each year. And Clark had convinced her that all his Rockefeller money was tied up in litigation. But someday, he would be getting a fortune. Um, ladies. If your man ever says that he's super rich, (laughs) but that he can't access that money right now, before you marry him, just say, okay, I need to see statements. Yeah. Show me your attorney bills. Show me that invoice. Show me an account statement. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, she goes on to testify in court that, like, basically, yeah, people, even people like myself that are smart and successful and have it all together oh, in every yeah. other way can be duped when, like, Oh, absolutely. They fall in love or they have a close friend or, you know. So it happens. It does. But But we can learn from it. Yes. So within 24 hours, the FBI got involved and they were shocked 
at the lack of paper trail there was for someone that was supposedly a member of one of the most famous and wealthy families in America. Yeah. <laughs> they contacted the Rockefeller family spokesperson. I don't know if that shocks anybody else. It, no, honestly, it didn't. I, I was like, what? Yeah, apparently they're still so important that they have like an official spokesperson on behalf of all of the family who yeah. keeps track of all, all of the descendants. Yeah. Within the Rockefeller family. That spokesperson told the agents that they had no record of James Frederick Mills Clark Rockefeller either. He wasn't at that family reunion. We didn't see him. (laughs) I'm sure that's what he would tell them. (laughs) The FBI was scouring the world in their search as Clark had once again elaborately planned his getaway. He had told several friends of his plans of traveling with his daughter let me guess guess. this time he and you said his daughter so i'm gonna go ahead and go with that he and his daughter have to go save pandas in japan (laughs) and they're gonna be in the woods in the forest rescuing pandas from gorillas so they have no service so you can't find them that's my guess (laughs) it wasn't that elaborate (laughs) with the cheese head but he's still wearing the cheese head Mm -hmm. um it wasn't that elaborate but he did tell his friends of various places. Conveniently, he gave each person a different destination. And of course, all of them were lies. They did catch somewhat of a break, though, when the friend that he had spent the previous evening with told agents that he still had the glass that Clark had used when drinking water at his place. Okay, so they said he said so, he might have some DNA for you. They they were able to lift prints off the glass. Which they had but prints. Around the same time, this is all kind of happening in tandem. So around the same time, they got an even bigger break when a real estate agent saw the news story about Clark Rockefeller kidnapping his daughter, and she realized that is the man that she had just sold an apartment to who went by the name Chip Smith. Oh, we've got a new name. Chip Smith had apparently lost his con man touch, though, because he fell for a ploy to get him out of the apartment. And as he was walking down the street, an agent yelled, hey, Clark, to, ah! which, to which he turned around. Yeah, and- he turned he turned around <laughs> because he's dumb. He was immediately arrested. And when fingerprinted, it, of course, matched the glass from the friend's and the prints from the database that belonged to Christian Gerhardt's writer, a.k.a. Chris Gerhardt, a.k.a. Christopher Chichester, a.k.a. Chris Crow. The Greenwich, Connecticut detective's work of putting those prints in the system 20 years earlier finally paid off. Yeah. That's why, and this is, this is my favorite saying, especially in the professional world, and thank you, Mom, for introducing this to me, Ohio, only handle it once. If you have something in your hand and you have five <laughs> things you can do with it, you say, oh, okay, I can put this in the file. I can scan it in. I can do this. I can do this. Just keep, just do all of it. Just do everything you can think of you, you might need to do with it and then put it away. And then yeah. one day you don't have to, A, you don't have to do all of that later. You don't have to go get it and do it again. And B, you might have fingerprints that you need in 20 years. No. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Do your job. Thank you, Mom. That's Thank excellent. you, Mom. It is great advice. I can't believe I'm from Ohio and I've never heard that. Okay. Teachers. Teachers. They're the best. They truly, truly are. So, now he's in custody. What happens next? I'm almost scared to find out. Linda's friends and family received the news that the prime suspect in Linda and John's case had been arrested. Unfortunately, they would have to wait to see any justice on behalf of the couple. First, Christian would face charges in Boston for the kidnapping of Ray, as well as assault and battery charges on the social worker. His defense team filed a pre-trial motion to dismiss. Just because they were like, you know what, we don't want to take this. We just want you to let it go. Because basically their premise was, he's her parent. How could he kidnap her? Welcome to the real world where most kidnappings are by parents. Yes. Or family members. Like, 
Come on now. They also filed a motion to suppress portions of his interview with the FBI agents and a motion for change of venue. They love that change of venue, don't they? They well, really think that that's going to like make or break it. And then sometimes, I mean, obviously sometimes it matters. In some, in some cases, yes. But this case, like, it made national news because of the name Rockefeller. Well, yes. So, and he's also lived in 90 million different places. Yes. In any case, the motion to dismiss was denied. The motion to suppress portions of the interview was allowed, but the motion for change of venue was also denied. Okay. And the trial began May 26, 2009 where the prosecution presented a string of witnesses testifying as to the manipulations they had suffered from the man they knew as Clark Rockefeller. There was testimony of psychological experts with conflicting conclusions. Some believed he had multiple signs of delusional grandiose psychosis. Oh, the man was as delulu as they come. (laughs) And that he truly believed that his daughter was telepathically communicating with him that she wanted him to rescue her. Hold now, on. <laughs> telepathically. You want lunch? I'm lunching. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Yes. Yes. So what I didn't mention when I talked about his marriage before. Yeah, I have lots of questions about that, but it's... Was that because his wife made all this money yeah. and his riches hadn't yet come in because well, yeah, they were they're tied, tied up, up in litigation. They're tied up. They're tied up. He actually was the primary caretaker for their daughter. Oh, well, that And makes at this sense. point, she's seven years old. So, their I mean... Their argument that he didn't kidnap her, he was just parenting, you know. It, yeah. It basically, like, the reason that he had supervised visits with her was because his wife questioned his identity and yeah. she feared that he would kidnap the child. Yeah. So we're here for a reason. Yes. But all that to be said, family court is so he did have a bond with his daughter. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, well, he hardly, you know, did anything. Mm-hmm. So I will say that. I'll give him that little bit of like. Fair enough. Other experts, though, believed he simply had malignant narcissistic personality disorder and that he was faking all the other things. I don't think he was faking how delusional he is. The man clearly thought he was the shit. And he continues to tell people that he believes he's Clark Rockefeller and he grew up in New York City. Yeah, see, like... But there was no consensus on it. Some people thought one thing, some people thought yeah. another. And truly, I kind of am in the same boat. Like, his defense wasn't really insanity. They just sort of presented, like, yeah. well, we want to present this psych evaluations if the jury finds that. If that gives them reasonable doubt, that's yeah, all that matters, yeah. kind of thing. But as I said, The defense really argued that he was not criminally responsible for parental kidnapping, and they moved for a required finding of not guilty on the charge of assault and battery. Mm, No, I still think he assaulted the... He still did that. Yeah. So from what I found on that sort of motion, it's in Massachusetts, it it kind of is just what it sounds like for anybody who's wondering what that is. Um, they can file the motion once all the evidence is presented by the state, and then the judge has the power to accept or deny, essentially mm-hmm. bypassing the jury's decision. Mm-hmm. So the judge denied the motion, and on June 12, 2009, the jury found Christian guilty on both the kidnapping and assault charges. He was sentenced to four to five years for the kidnapping and another two to three years to be served consecutively. Sorry, wrong. To be served concurrently <laughs> yes. for the assault charge. Okay, I okay. Moving on. From what I recall, he could have gotten up to 15 years. The minimum was like two years. Yeah, and so he barely the served. The reality is he did not serve a ton of time because he's serving them concurrently. Yeah. He's serving them at the same time. The so. most he was gonna serve was four to five years. Yeah. 
which he's a nonviolent offender or they typically don't serve that much time. Yes. He began the appeals process immediately and was denied all the way through to what I believe was the last appeal in 2012 when he had served most of his time already. And at that point, he already faced charges in California for the murder of John Sohus. Furthering their investigation into John's death while Christian had been serving his time for the kidnapping, detectives were able to fill in some of the gaps in the timeline. Because, of course, the question on everybody's mind, if it's not already on yours, was, well, okay, he did all these things. We found him in this state, that state. Where was he between... The yeah. end of 1988 when he took off from the hedge fund job mm-hmm. and was known as Chris Crow. Mm-hmm. And 2008 when he then kidnaps his daughter. So 10 years. 10 No. Mm, yeah. Longer than that. <laughs> 20 years. Sorry. I can't do math. That's why I do true crime podcasts. That's why we <laughs> podcast and we don't do math. So 20 years, they wanted to fill in the Mm -hmm. gaps. So here's what they found out. He was in Asia rescuing the pandas. I don't know where Mahoko Manabi is from, but he might have been. They found out that his friend, Mahoko, who had answered the phone and talked with the detective, well, she lied. Oh. He was actually there with her during that phone call. Oh, my gosh. And he convinced her that... It wasn't a detective. It was somebody trying to coming after him was going to kill yeah. him. And so he convinced her to go on the run with him. Oh, my gosh. And they were together for eight years, bouncing around wow. until they finally um, broke it off and went their separate ways. But not before she gave him her New York City apartment. In yep. this economy, she's just giving that, people crap. That's the face that I had too when oh I found Lord. out. Like, what are you? What? Nobody, you don't just give away an apartment. And if you are, you give it to me. <laughs> so once he had that apartment, he began socializing with wealthy art collectors mm-hmm. and whatnot that lived in the building. And then, of course, expanded to, you know, a good chunk of New York City. Yeah, I mean, it's Anna Delvey all over. I mean, you know. Yeah, kind of, yeah. He had um, procured himself a very nice fraudulent collection of his own that seemed to impress everyone. All right. And it was through that circle of friends that he met his wife, Sandra Boss, and then proceeded to live off of her as well. Fair enough. And we know how that turned out. So... Another thing that the detectives were able to piece together once they had the full picture of Christian's life story was the two plastic bags that I had mentioned that were wrapped around. Yeah, I was wondering why he double bagged it. They weren't just any old grocery plastic bags. Oh, see, I was picturing a Ziploc. Nope. Okay, I'm with you now. They were shopping bags, but they were both from university bookstores. Specifically... Uh... One was from the University of Wisconsin. Where and he bought the, his cheese head hat. And the second was from the University of Southern California. Now they had evidence that Christian was the only person to have lived at the Sohus residence and attend both, both. of those schools. The prosecution believed that he killed both John and Linda, but they never found Linda's body. That's horrible. I hate that. So they had to move forward with putting Christian on trial for just the murder of John. And that started in March of 2013. The prosecution theorized that he murdered John to secure his place as the only person caring for Dee Dee and her property in Mm -hmm. hopes that he would be included in her will. People are always trying to take advantage of of that estate plan. Yes. Much like the kidnapping trial, they were able to present multiple witnesses, including his ex-wife, 
that testified as to who he was as they knew him and how he had duped them. They were also able to use a TV interview that he did in which they were able to use his own answers against him, including when he said he could never have killed John and Linda Sohus because he's a pacifist and a Quaker. I thought he was a nudist. But, he, like, but he's also a pacifist and a Quaker. And a Quaker. I well, didn't know Quakers could wear any other hats. I thought they had to wear the Quaker <laughs> hat. They've upgraded to cheese hats. Um, the prosecution argued that his ex-wife's testimony would show that he only became a Quaker so that he didn't have to have an officiant conduct their wedding. Low blink. Okay. I'm going to assume everyone can piece that together. Yeah. Just in case. For the people in the back. For the people in the back, in case you can't, or you know, don't understand. Obviously, that was to conceal because an officiant is going to question, like, who are you? Yeah, why are you getting married? Why are you getting married? Have you been married before? What's your backstory? The defense was basically that Linda was the mastermind who murdered John and disappeared for good to Paris, apparently. Hence the postcard. Hence the postcard. Even though there was literally no motive, and she was basically broke when they disappeared, and she yeah. wouldn't have gotten a dime. Like, there wasn't... There, there was nothing for Linda to gain by John's death. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't... It's a stupid defense. It doesn't make any freaking sense. Well, but we've... We've said it before, when you're handed a flaming yeah, pile of garbage, crap. you just gotta like... <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. Throw stuff at the wall, see what sticks. So Christian was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to 25 years for the murder and an additional two years for the weapons used. Yeah. His appeal did not strike me as very interesting, as it was predominantly about a parole revocation fine and conduct credits for time served so i'm not really going to go into details there but the appellate court did reverse the parole revocation fine and remand the case back to the superior court to determine the credits uh he is still currently serving time at san quentin state prison from what i have found and i looked into because it's me and i'm always curious I looked into where Sandra, Boss, and Ray yeah. are now. Um, it appears Sandra is still living in London, uh, which is where she moved after the divorce. But I could not find anything about Ray. I imagine she keeps a very low profile yeah. given the situation. Um, she was seven at the time of the kidnapping, which would make her about 21 years old now. So she is an adult. But still... I imagine she's either changed her name or just yeah keeps quiet. I mean, that's what I would do. Who wants to deal with <gasps> your dad was the fake Rockefeller? Yeah, exactly. So, well, that is the story of a man with many names. That is a f- you did first of all, you did a great job of keeping it all straight. Awesome. I was so nervous about that. I hope you guys liked it as much as I did cuz that was fascinating. Now, I know what you're wondering. You're wondering why I've been on my phone so much while you're talking because it seems really disrespectful. (laughs) And I want you to know that it was for a good reason. Okay. And I'm going to show you now. Okay. You're. (laughs) I have made pictures of how I... You're not paying attention. There's more. Of how I think he looks at all times. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm sure you'll see it on social media, guys. She has created photos. She has used uh, photos of the man and added a cheese head to all of them. All of them. <laughs> um, this is my life's work. <laughs> this is a masterpiece. And um, I think it really adds something to the I mean, it's such a fascinating case. And, like, if you liked um, Anna Delvey's story on Netflix, I'm sure you liked this. This is, like... Yeah. These... And if you want more... Da- like, there's so much more oh my gosh, that they yeah. found out. So one of my sources is a book that was written mm-hmm. 
Um, it, the book doesn't include the stuff about the murder trial and and stuff, but because it was written yeah. sh- like kind of in between him getting convicted for the kidnapping and um when he went on trial for the murder, but they dived into his background like oh, they went and interviewed people about his family and it's so interesting these people who just like get in so far into their lives then they just start believing them themselves yes so if you want more details on there's a whole lot more to the story that mm-hmm. i could not get into but um yeah you want to check out that book because there's a lot of background information in that book yeah well and i think the obvious next thing is the emoji for the week yes and that's obviously the cheese emoji. It can't be <laughs> anything else. That's um, a good one. Yeah, so go leave a cheese emoji. Thank you to everybody who leaves emojis because it yes. makes my whole day. And I'm sure you guys like seeing yourselves on our little Sunday shout out. Yep. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.